President Carter has arrived in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a brief... Go to America, goes Montana! He will fall in fire! Because cable's now. I think cable history is exciting, and personally, I believe this is such a wonderful industry. Hello, and welcome to Stories from the Head End, the Cable Center's podcast series featuring the industry's visionaries and leaders sharing their unique insights and experiences. I'm your host, Luke Woodruff. The content presented in this series is edited from the audio and video recordings found in the collections of the Cable Center's Barco Library and the Hauser Oral and Video History Project. On today's follow-up episode, we'll hear the oral history of Ted Turner. This oral history was filmed at the Western Show in Anaheim, California on November 28, 2001. Turner uses his own brand of wit and humor to describe both the ups and downs of the years of his career. And now, the oral history of Ted Turner. Ted Turner. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, Hauser Foundation's oral history taping of Ted Turner and Ted's, who was cable before cable was cool, but cable's cool now. So we're going to go through this a little bit chronologically, but I want to go back to something that uh, Terry McGurk was telling me about earlier. Is uh, right about the time WTBS went up on the satellite, and you were down in Florida, uh, this is about 75, I think, and uh, you Terry talked your way onto the podium to talk about what you were trying to do. But I think you got there and didn't know quite what you were doing. So you started having everybody do calisthenics. And I was wondering if we couldn't start that way here today. <laughs> do you remember that? No. <laughs> Terry does. Uh, he says you went through 10, 15 minutes of it before you thought of what to say. You don't remember it. I, don't, I, I remember going to the meeting, but I don't remember leading the cable operators in calisthenics. I still, I still think that uh, that sort of set the tone for how you approach the industry, though. Well, it was a team operation, so... <laughs> and I'd like to thank everybody that came today. It's really gratifying to have such a nice turnout. And also, while I've, I want to thank you all for helping me get rich, and, uh, <laughs> and I hope I've Our helped pleasure. get you, you all get rich, too. You know? <laughs> there was plenty of money to go around for everybody. <laughs> So that, uh, you had that little station in Atlanta those days, and one in Charlotte, I think, at that right. time. And uh, what got you interested in the cable television business there? Well, I was in the only, I didn't have any money, or had very little money at the time, and I wanted to get in the television business, and all I could afford was UHF stations. And everybody here knows UHF was pretty hard to receive without cable, and there wasn't, uh, the, the metropolitan areas like Atlanta didn't have any cable, but there was cable out on the on the fringes of the metropolitan area, and there was there was cable that just started in places like Macon and Columbus that were uh, Columbus, Georgia, that were about 100 miles away, Huntsville, Alabama, and they were bringing in the Atlanta stations to get a full complement of uh, network stations, and uh, I started. I figured, well, a viewer in Columbus, Georgia would be worth as much as one in Atlanta pretty much at some point in time if I could get enough of them. So, and besides, even in Atlanta, I wanted cable there as quickly as possible so people could receive us because it's very hard to receive uh, UHF with a dependable uh, signal. So at the very beginning, I figured that cable was going to be good for me was as a UHF 
television operator, so I decided to throw my lot with cable, cable early because it was in, uh, and, and I would provide good programming so that the cable operators in the surrounding area and later with the satellite all over the United States and, the, and then the world that we would, uh, that we would uh, be mutually beneficial to one another and uh, that we'd all get rich together. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. That is kind of what happened. And have a lot of fun too. You know, I mean, it's pretty hard to get rich without having fun unless you're robbing a bank. <laughs> we didn't do that. We, we earned our money the, the good old fashioned way. We, we worked for it. Uh, good. It, uh, when the satellite came along, what made you jump to that? Well, the satellite uh, was, I saw the satellite as just, in those days we had to do microwave, and you had to have a microwave tower over 35 miles, because that's the only way to get there, and each one cost, you know, 50000 or $100,000, depending on the terrain and what, what, but it was a very, it was an inefficient way. It was okay to go from point to point to point. But it was no good or not efficient for point multipoint. And when I read about the satellite, the communication satellite, I said, hey, wait a minute. This is an antenna 32 or 22,000 miles up in, up in space that can cover the whole North American continent. And we can go point multipoint to every cable operator in the country. And, and, and if we put compelling enough programming on that satellite and give the industry uh, something that people will be willing to pay for, then we can get cable operators to start in the major metropolitan areas and we can wire the whole country and have a national medium and we'll eventually we'll get to 80% penetration then we compete with CBS, NBC and ABC and make billions. And you thought and, about uh, all that back then. That sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what we did. That's <laughs> That satellite you picked, do you remember the guy that came in to sell it to you? No, nobody came in to sell it to us. Oh, you called? I called, RTA we had to call, it. nobody, you know, we, we had to call just about everybody. Very few people came, came to see us in those days. And even the people that we went to see, it was, was a guy from, uh, was Western Union, what was his name? He was Ed Taylor. Ed Taylor from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. Ed, if you're still alive out there, hello. Anyway, I, I called him and I said, I want to come up and find out about about the satellite. I said, I want to use the satellite to cover the country with my television station down here. And he said, well, come on up. And they, I think I landed at Newark Airport and they sent somebody up to pick me up and take me down to Western Union's headquarters. And they, we spent an afternoon going over, uh, you know, showing me around and how, how things worked. I already knew basically how it worked, but I wanted to establish contact and get them to start negotiating to uh, rent a transponder so we could get on the on the satellite. But you didn't go on the Western Union's bird. No, because Ed was in the process of leaving Western Union to go with uh, with RCA, SATCOM, I think, or whatever it was. There and 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 HBO was already on the, well actually that's not true. West at the time I went to see Ed Taylor, HBO was on Western Union because the Western Union satellite was the only one that was up and working. Mm -hmm. RCA was in the process of getting ready to launch their, uh, their first communication satellite, and HBO had already made arrangements to switch over to that satellite. And it became very clear that we wanted to be on the same satellite with HBO. There were only going to be two services up there to, to start with. But, but it would be much more cost efficient for the cable operators if we were on the same satellite, because one satellite dish would receive... Uh, 
both signals without adding a second dish. In those days, satellite dishes. Uh, Bob Rosencrantz bought the first one down in Florida, I think everybody remembers, and it cost close to 100,000 bucks, which was a, a lot of uh, money mm -hmm. in those days for most of us. Now it's not? Or? No. No. <laughs> so you got up on RCA, and you had WTBS up there, but you weren't really allowed to go sell it, were you? But we were not allowed to, to rent the transponder ourselves either. It turned out when we checked with the Washington attorneys. And, and remember, this was all new stuff. So when we'd go to Washington and ask the FCC about things, they didn't have any, uh, any, any rules about buying satellite, renting satellite transponders. It was too, too new. So we had to kind of invent everything as we, as we went along. But, so but whatever we, every problem that there was, I'd, go to bed at night and think about what the problem was, and almost invariably before dawn, I'd have a solution to the problem, <laughs> at least a, a theoretical one, and we'd go out that next day and try and solve that problem, and then before the day was over, a new problem would arise. <laughs> uh, and everybody here that was building cable systems and getting franchises in those days, they, they know what I'm talking about. We had to write the rules as we went along because we were doing something that nobody had done before. We were like Christopher Columbus when he when he left Spain to seek the new world. He didn't know where he was going when he left. He didn't know where he was when he got there. And he didn't know where he'd been when he got back. <laughs> and we call him the father of our country. <laughs> that started those Southern satellite systems. Came That's out of, right. One of the and I gave, I, gave right? Him, I gave him the right to put us on uh, the satellite. And I, and, I, and I said, look, if you charge 10 cents a month, and you get a million subscribers, you've got $100,000 a month, and the transponder costs 100000 so you break even with a million subscribers, and from there on, every dime you get a month, you know, a dime a month doesn't sound like much, but if you get up enough people, you know, you can get rich. <laughs> every month, you know, year after year. <laughs> and besides, you start at 10 cents, and then go to 20 and 30, you know. <laughs> That's the way cable started, you know, $8 a month, then we got it up to 40 bucks a month. You know, that's where the money is, you know, when you get, get more later down the line when you're providing a more valuable service. So TBS then grew across that five years from 75 to 1980, and you got a, a hair to go start a news network. But you weren't known for news back in those days. Well, I couldn't afford news, you know. and it Basically, uh, there wasn't any point of me promoting news before I decided to go with CNN because all I, it wouldn't have been in my best interest to do so. And besides, I thought the news was pretty negative anyway and pretty biased, so uh, I, you know, I didn't watch it very much. Not television news. I watched it a little bit, but I didn't want Walter Cronkite telling me how to think. I mean, I like Walter Cronkite. He's a personal <laughs> friend. But, uh, but in those days, he used to give his opinions all the time on the news, and I, kinda didn't, I didn't like it. So you started Cable News Network. Mm -hmm. And why did you call it Cable News Network? Well, I figured there was a lot of skepticism by people, some of whom are still in this room. <laughs> See, the great thing about the cable industry is most of us were here at the beginning. And we're going to be here at the end, too, because <laughs> the end is the end game is just about here. Within the next year, there will only be two cable operators and one satellite operator, basically. and. Uh, the game's over because uh, 
Like in Monopoly, when you own all the real estate on the board, you know, there's nobody else left to pay rent, you win. So uh, <laughs> all you have to do, it's so sad, I was over on the floor over at the convention center today and it looked like uh, Kosovo or Afghanistan. There's so many holes, you know, where there used to be, used to be, uh, you know, uh, people that were displaying their wares and it, there's very little left over there. I mean, it, it, the industry is going to be part of a, of a big telecommunications industry, but it's not going to be, well, it's not the cable industry anymore. I mean, AT&T is the biggest cable operator and they're going under. I mean, or they're going to disappear within the next year. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, things are happening awfully, uh, awfully uh, fast, but it was a really interesting uh, 30 or 40 years. It really was. Well, it was just 21 years ago that you started Cable News Network. That's right, but, but, but cable had already started right. you know, about 40 years ago. True. And, and the Superstation went up 27 years ago. Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, it, I've been in it for 30 years. And 30 years is a long time. I mean, but it's short. Uh, it was, you know, we wired the whole country and basically got the vast majority, 80% of people subscribed to multi-channel television. That includes... Uh, uh, the, the two satellite providers. Mm-hmm. But back to Cable News Network, uh, you named it Cable News. No, oh, that's right. Yeah. The reason for that is that there was speculation of whether we would succeed and whether we had enough money to see it through. And I figured if we put Cable in the first name and we were going to promote the living daylights out of it, not with a big advertising campaign, but me going around uh, talking to newspaper editors and everything, that, that you know, call your cable operator and, and it would have been very confusing for the cable, uh, the person answering the phone at the cable company to say, no, we don't carry the cable news network. Well, why not? It sounds like it's owned by the cable industry. Why aren't you carrying the cable? You're a cable system. You know, I thought we'd be confusing enough to where it would help us get more carriage, and it did. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> but that... In 1980, though, you, you've had a history of kind of betting the ranch, so to speak, in the company. In 19... But only when I thought it was a really the good odds bet, a were good heavily bet. in our favor. <laughs> well, but, 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 but it's pretty hard when you're doing something that's never been done before to know for certainty whether it's going to work or not. We did take, we took a lot of risk, but so did uh, most of the people in this room. I mean, when you go into a new industry that doesn't exist before and you go out and try and... Uh, uh, do the things that, uh, that all of us in this room did, you know, it's, uh, we all took risks. Not everything worked either. I remember a music channel. Well, but that, that really did work. The music channel did work. First of all, John Malone and several of the bigger cable operators, MTV was trying to get a, a 100% rate increase for that garbage <laughs> programming that they had on. <laughs> those free videos that they didn't pay anything for, and the cable operators dug in their heels, and they needed somebody to, uh, to leverage uh, MTV. So they said, Ted, do us a favor and start a music channel and announce that you're not going to charge any fees, and that way we can negotiate a better deal with MTV. So I did that. And, uh, uh, and we got on the air in 30 days with it. It's so easy to do. I mean, and, 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 and so... The cable operators all cut the deals they wanted. MTV reduced their prices back down to very de minimis uh, rate increase, and uh, and we signed we signed off a month later when we realized that uh, we'd served our purpose. But it only cost 
I think it cost us less than $2 million. I mean, it wasn't even a lot of money then, but we had built up a lot of goodwill on the part of people like Malone and the other big cable operators that felt like they were being screwed by MTV. <laughs> and uh, so they carried our services. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was always quid pro quos for what we did. I mean, you know, it, it never hurts to be popular with your customers. Never, ever. <laughs> When SATCOM 3, though, took off, it didn't quite make it. What? When SATCOM 3 took off, oh, that's yeah, the that, one that blew it up. It disappeared. Yeah, and you had a little problem there with uh, transponder space. That's right. We were, yeah. we, were, we were about a month or so away from starting CNN, and we had no place to distribute it. But uh, Terry McGurk uh, reminded me, and he negotiated this, I think, it's a long time ago, but we might as well give him the credit. He would have gotten the blame if we didn't have it. <laughs> but when we, when we rented the transponder, when we rented it, there was a lot of cable networks then, and there was a, uh, they were standing in line to get on SATCOM 3, which had disappeared. So now we had probably 10 customers. I, that, don't hold me to that number, but there were multiple customers for the two transponders or one that were still uh, available on SATCOM 2, which was already up and, up and running. And here we, we were pulling our hair trying to figure out what we were going to do because we would have been in big trouble because we had all the expenses for CNN. Had, a lot of them had been committed for. We were already building bureaus and we already hired uh, hundreds of people and so forth. And uh, Terry remi reminded me that w when, we, when we signed the deal, with, uh, with RCA for the transponder that we later transferred over to uh, Ed Taylor for the Superstation, TBS, that uh, we, had an, we got an option for an additional transponder. So when we, when we uh, confronted the RCA executives with that, that we had a written contract for a, tr a transponder that we'd really forgotten about because it was five years before that we did that, uh, that they agreed to, to give us one of those two transponders. Well, they didn't agree easily, if I remember. No, we had there was a court fight, and, a, and you had to go to the FCC. And we we we, yeah. we were prepared to go to the to go to the mat with them, uh, if necessary, because it was a matter of uh, of our survival. And they caved. They did. Good. Later, uh, when CNN became successful, it generated a competitor. ABC. No, no, it was long before. SNC started uh, like a year and a half after we started CNN. CNN did not become profitable till its sixth year, and we had 250 million in it at that time, approximately. But SNC came long before we were profitable, three or four years before we were profitable, and it really was a dagger pointed at uh, at our heart. It was one of the greatest threats. We we faced a number of threats over the years, obviously. Uh, but it was it was uh, it was a, a formidable uh, formidable uh, uh, maneuver on their part, and uh, we were quite concerned about it. So you you eventually acquired them. So their challenge to you didn't work. Do you remember how that played out? Yeah, of course. Everybody in this room does. I mean, all the older, <laughs> yeah. everybody over fifty. True, but <laughs> uh, it was. I think Bill Daniels brokered the final deal uh, with Dan Ritchie when you bought the assets of SNC. I think he helped us. He helped you then. But what what made uh, Westinghouse and ABC blink instead of you? 
Well, we had, uh, we started, they, they were gonna take several months and they, their first network, they announced they were gonna do two networks. We only had one, CNN. They were gonna have a long-term, a long-form network that would compete directly with CNN, but they were gonna start with a short-form network called SNC that was gonna have an 18-minute news wheel. And I figured it would be better to do a 30-minute news wheel anyway because people were used to tuning uh, from one station to the other at the top and bottom of the hour because that's when the networks uh, change their shows. And, uh, and, 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 and so we decided, I decided we'd try and get on the air before they did. And we got on the air in, I think, four months and 120 days with our second news network and preempted them a little bit. And we split the headline news uh, carriage agreements because cable operators didn't want to carry two of these channels for the most part and we made them not viable. It also cost us a lot of money to do that, but uh, we figured that we had to uh, attack them first and have a preliminary uh, strike and, and, and make them unviable so that they'd uh, withdraw from the, from the battle before they started their long-term network. And it was all calculated and carefully thought out, and it worked uh, to a charm. Mm -hmm. So they went away. Well, they sold out to yes. us for 25 million. We, we, we gave them a, you know, a little stipend to to leave the industry. <laughs> and ABC and Westinghouse, we had defeated them. It was like yeah. Vietnam beating the United States, you know. <laughs> but nobody thought we could do it, but we did. True at that time. So. This uh, video they showed of you playing, or the song, I was cable, when cable wasn't cool. I came up with that yeah. at that time. It was right around then. It was exactly at that time. Mm -hmm. I wanted to remind, I think it was the Western show. We, maybe it wasn't the Western show, it was a national show, I think, in Vegas, because we bought a billboard, mm -hmm. uh, rented a billboard with a cutout of, I, mean, I wanted to remind the cable industry not to go with Satellite News Channel, it was Westinghouse and, uh, and, and ABC, because they were the enemy. This was before Westinghouse bought uh, Teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And th they were the competition, and it, they would be making a mistake uh, going with them because I was with them, uh, you know, from the very beginning when they really needed help. And if they had abandoned me at that time and I hadn't made it, they would be in the hands of uh, people that didn't have their best interests at heart, the broadcasters. And most of the operators did stick with us. And we couldn't, we, we never, that's why I thanked everybody at the beginning, we could not have done it by ourselves. We couldn't do it without the support of the cable operators. But I do have to say, I think we earned the, the support of the cable operators over the years in giving a superior product at a reasonable price. We never tried to, like ESPN and some of the other networks <laughs> have done, to screw you to the wall. You know, I always, you know, get the last nickel and then another, you know. I figured if we just got a, a small profit. I, I decided early on, I said, what would be a good split between us and the cable operators? That if I get 10% and the cable operators get 90% of the profits from this industry, that would be okay with me. ABC, SPN wants 50%. You know, they want half your money. You know, I only wanted just a little bit, just, <laughs> just a lousy little 10%. And if I got it, that from everybody, you know, I could, I could live and get my children through college. And that's what, that's what happened. And still have a little left over for retirement, you know? <laughs>
I never thought I'd have to retire, but that's for a later time. We'll, we'll, you know. get, to that. we'll get to that. <laughs> I never thought I'd get prematurely retired, but neither did Trig Myron and a lot of people in this room. <laughs> a lot of good men. So you started uh, other networks and around. Women. Yes. Yes. You started some other networks, and TNT came along with. Uh, uh, you were line extending what you were doing and using right, sports. Right, network. As, right. Yeah. I figured, you know, the more networks, the merrier. You know, and by at this time, cable operators were figuring the the more systems, the merrier. It was we were already on our way towards uh, getting big and consolidating. Mm -hmm. And you were one of the first though to combine the sports franchise with making it a major by piece far of the programming. First. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we bought. We bought the Braves 10 years before the Tribune Company bought the Cubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, they, you know, but after, you know, the broadcasters were only eight or 10 years behind us, you know, it's, uh, it's thank still, God they were so slow to react. It really, <laughs> it gave us an opportunity because at the beginning, everybody thinks Bill Gates is so smart and I think he's smart too. But basically he didn't have, he had some competition, but the field was wide open. The computer software field was pretty wide open when he started. But when we started, the three broadcast networks were thousands of times bigger than we were. They already, that space, the television broadcasting business was filled with three gigantic, uh, gigantic competitors that were already well entrenched and had been in business for over 30 years. Uh, so it was very, very difficult. But, but they were so stupid and slow-footed to, to move that they, they, they allowed us to uh, get very nicely established before they, uh, before they reacted. The whole idea is to, in business, I think, is to, is to figure out how to start something new if you can. And if not that, come up with something a lot better mousetrap and then market the hell out of it and, 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 and establish your market position before your competitors uh, react. And then hopefully you've got competitors that are large and slow like dinosaurs, like the networks were at the time. But the networks have, have rallied. I mean, most of the cable programming now is now owned by the networks. I mean, it was only a matter of, uh, matter of time. And, and basically when we get around the questions about why I sold it Time Warner, I'll explain what the strategy was then. It's a, this, uh, the game was a uh, constantly changing one. It was like playing three-dimensional chess, and it's hard enough to play two-dimensional chess, and three-dimensional chess is extremely, uh, extremely difficult. Well, you had made a run at a network before. Oh, I, 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 a couple of times. At one time or another, <laughs> this is a story that has not been completely yeah. told. I had, I could have purchased CBS. I mean, I had it, it was right there. I had a handshake already with uh, NBC at one time, and I had ABC purchased too, or merge, I had a merger. I was a handshake away. I mean, the deals were made. I mean, but they all, uh, they all eluded me by just, you know, they were right there, you know. By <laughs> just recently. You know, I could have been a contender. You know, remember uh, remember what Marlon Brando said in On the Waterfront. But I got, you know, I can't worry about the things I didn't do. I, you know, I still made billions and started more networks than anybody else. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be modeling that my career was a failure because I didn't get one of the big networks. You know, I, yeah. you know it didn't work out exactly like I wanted, but, you know, I still did okay. You know. I ain't gonna apologize to nobody, you know? <laughs> That's right.
So why did you sell the Time Warner? Boy, we sure passed a lot of history. <laughs> yes. There went 15 years. <laughs> well, there were a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, when we lost the retransmission consent battle, and I, and I suspected all along that the broadcasters were eventually going to win in Washington. They were going to win in Washington because with their local affiliates, they covered the congressmen uh, and senators at election time, and they really had a lot to say about who got elected and who didn't get elected at the state and uh, congressional level. And they, they were going to use their leverage there to, uh, to beat us in Washington. And they did. They eventually did it. For a long time, we held them at bay. And, and, and it was all of our effort. I, at one time, I knew half the senators on a first-name basis. Uh, I spent, like we all did, those of us who were there in that day, a lot of time in Washington. But it was really very, very critical for me that the networks not get control of the cable industry uh, early on before we were uh, established. And we were able to hold them at bay for years. But then eventually they won the retransmission consent battle. And they also won the battle to get the digital spectrum. And I knew they were going to eventually come up with, or they, there was a good chance that they would come up with six channels apiece. And either through their, their retransmission consent plus the leverage they had with the government, uh, the elected government officials, that they would, they would force their six channels onto the cable systems. It hasn't happened yet, but mark my words, it will happen. It will happen. They will get digital must-carry. And when they do, that's going to be, there's six of them now. You got WB, UPN, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. You've got seven of them, each with six channels. That's 42 channels. That's half the capacity. But we're headed into a world where uh, there are going to be virtually an infinite number of channels anyway. And this is all part of this because it's very complex. In a world of infinite channels or infinite choice at your fingertips with uh, video on demand, the value of channels goes down. And also with the Internet. The Internet is a, uh, a, another competitor. And, and uh, so I thought that there was a good chance that over time, and, and then on top of that, everybody wanted to have a cable network. You know, cable had uh, a dual revenue uh, stream. And I was the one that invented the dual revenue stream. CNN was the first network that came out and honestly told the operators, you're going to have to pay us 15 cents a month for this network. At that time, if you'll recall, ESPN was advertising that they were going to pay you to carry ESPN. You know, ha, 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 suckers. I mean, you didn't have to look through that one very far to see, yeah. You're going to pay us $2 a month. That's what, they're, that's what they meant. But uh, per sub. Anyway, that was uh, one thing. I thought that, I thought that we, we had a good chance of, well, I already knew with retransmission consent. That's why one of the reasons I desperately wanted a network, because I knew we were going to be, we were going to eventually not be able to compete without a network, uh, not co to compete at the top level. I did not want to be a fringe player in the broadcasting business. I wanted to be the dominant number one player. And uh, we were there. We, we, we were, when we merged with Time Warner, AL, Time Warner was at the time, the overall value of our company was about $12 billion. And uh, uh, at that time, the networks were worth 6 or $7 billion apiece. So we, we had basically doubled the value 
of what CBS, NBC, or ABC were worth during that uh, 20-year period from 1976 to 1986 when I merged uh, with AOL, AOL, Time Warner. And one reason I, I merged with them is AOL, it wasn't AOL, Time Warner stock, the value, of, you know, you can figure out what the real value of assets were, and the combined value of Time Warner stock was about half the value of, uh, of what I thought those assets were, the, the various cable companies, what HBO was worth, what the magazines were worth. I figured that they were selling, selling for half what they were worth. And if I could get what I thought was the real value for TBS, which was about $12 billion, and Jerry was willing to give that to me because he was in so much trouble at the time, I figured all we had to do was merge with him. We would be getting double the value that that the AOL share, that the Time Warner shareholders had. And then all we had to do was go out and convince Wall Street that the Time Warner assets were undervalued and they were going to be managed in a more intelligent way than they had been in the past. And, and, and then the stock would come up to what it deserved to be at, which would, we would double our stock during the first year. And then from then on, we could show how uh, that there'd be a lot of synergies and things would really work. And then we could double it again and that would be four times our money. So I just had to, had to, had to do that. And it's exactly how it, how it worked out. We did. We quadrupled our money in about two years, which is not bad. And, uh, but, but there was another reason, too. Uh, I was really, I was really brokenhearted when Jerry uh, vetoed. You had the power of the veto. And he was on our board, and he vetoed the NBC acquisition. If we had gotten NBC eight or nine years ago, when we had it for $5 billion, had a handshake deal with Bob Wright, and it was 100% financed, it was, uh, it was really a terrific deal. They were going to take a billion dollars worth of common stock. They said, we'll, take a, we'll give you some kind, of, uh, give us some kind of preferred stock that pays a little dividend that we can cash in on. And if you can't borrow the, the other $3 billion, from uh, a bank or a consortium of banks, we'll finance it through GE Credit. So it was a turnkey deal, and John Malone voted for it, uh, but but Jerry Jerry vetoed it, and that I knew then that we were not gonna we couldn't win, that our hands had been tied behind us. The biggest mistake I ever made really was was and Malone told me not to do it, but I I I I, I was was bringing Time Warner into the consortium of cable operators uh, for that 500 and something million that we needed to pay off the, uh, pay down the, uh, the debt that we occurred when we, when we acquired MGM. I shouldn't have done that, all right? Well, I shouldn't have let them have the veto, but I was tired too. That was the other thing. I was, I was tired. After 30 years of working 18 hours a day, five or six days a week, uh, with one crisis after another, for 20 years, I was, uh, I was tired. And when you're tired, you don't make the best decisions. And I said, basically, I knew we were selling out. Uh, I didn't know what the consequences would be. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would actually lose my job. I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. But it, but it happened, uh, it happened. So my advice to any younger people in the room is be real careful who you sell to uh, if you sell your company. Uh, be, be prepared uh, to leave it. If you sell it, be prepared to leave it. I, I just, you know, I figured at the time I owned 9% of, of Time Warner. 
And I figured, well, Jerry thought that he bought me, but I thought I bought them. You know, I mean, that's, uh, but, but, but 9% is not 51. That's, uh, look, let me let remind you that. That's, my math wasn't too good. I, I did pretty well in high school math, but uh, I'd forgotten. And I, I guess I just got a little overconfident. But I was tired, too, and, uh, and you should never make important decisions when you're tired. Get a good night's sleep first. Pretty basic. Pretty basic. We could back up a little bit. One of the things that you... Yeah, we covered a lot of ground in a hurry. <laughs> hey, this is a... It's hard to do. This is, this is a long history. This was 35 years of uh, history that we're trying to get through in 60 minutes. That's right. without commercial breaks. <laughs> uh, we had that at the beginning with the Kennedy right. Center. But it, uh, one of the things you accomplished that was uh, amazing to me when it happened was taking CNN around the world. I think it's one of the most unique accomplishments anybody did. You got landing rights for a signal everywhere. And can you talk a little bit about how you managed that? Well, that was a, it, was a, it was a great challenge because, uh, well, the first place, where did the idea come, come from to, to cover the world? Well, in 1982, we had already been down to Cuba a couple of times, the CNN news crews. And uh, Fidel Castro told Easton Jordan when he went down there, who was our guy that was in charge of international news, he said, if uh, Turner ever wants to come down here, I'd like to, uh, like to meet him. So I jumped on a plane and went down there to meet him, and we spent all night drinking and smoking cigars. And, uh, and, 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 and he told me that CNN was just invaluable to him. He said, you know, the, the signal spilled into Cuba, and he, had, he read about it or heard about it. Uh, maybe the CIA let him know or his, <laughs> that there was an a all-news satellite signal that, was, that he could see in Cuba. And he said he, it was just invaluable to him. So I just, the idea of my, the idea just lit up. I said, if, if Fidel Castro can't live without CNN, well, we ought to be able to sell this all over the world. And uh, so really, the idea really started with a commie dictator. who <laughs> turned out to be a pretty good friend, actually. That's right. Well, if you're going to sell your signal all over the world, you've got to sell it to a lot of... In those days, half the world was communist. Mm -hmm. So we went out and sold it to communists. We sold it to capitalists. We sold it to anybody to pay. And that's what the cable operators did. I mean, you know, we, anybody that had 30 bucks a month could get cable, right? We didn't care what color they were, what gender, you know, just so long as they paid on time. <laughs> that's right. You even had trouble, though, with... But uh, it's a long story. That would take an hour to tell the story of how we marketed it around the world. But let me just say briefly <laughs> that a lot of it was in, came out of this mind to come up with a, with, a, with a system. And I personally went around and made sales calls in almost not every country in the world, but I made repeated sales calls in China and Russia and, uh, and in France and Italy and India. I, I, well, I only went there once, but I came away with an order. You know, <laughs> you, you don't need to go back and you get the order, right? <laughs> You know, my father always said, get the order and then leave. You know, don't stay around and give them a chance to change their mind. <laughs> but we sold it, and we delivered, and we made profit. And that's what you're supposed to do in a capitalistic society. We made profit off the commies. Most of them, too, quickly. That's right. 
So but, we, but, we, but we were good partners. The, one of the things that also that was a secret of our success, I alluded to it earlier by, by reaching the conclusion that I could live very nicely with 10% of the profits and let the cable operators have 90%. Besides, the cable operators had a lot of leverage too. And I didn't think I could get much more than that. <laughs> if you want to know the truth, I, I thought, you know, they, if I'd gone for 20%, there might have been a little more resistance, you know. Anyway, but what we did is we gave, we always gave people a great service at a reasonable price. And we gave a lot of good service, and we were loyal to the industry, and we stood shoulder to shoulder in Washington whenever we were needed. Whenever we were needed to do the little extra things that a company did to serve the industry, we were always there. And uh, I got on the NCTA board. I mean, I was the one, I can remember when they didn't even let programmers, weren't even members of NCTA. You could only get a, you know, I said, why can't we join? I mean, we're interested in the cable, but I know we're not cable operators, but it says cable association. We want to join the cable association. We're a cable programmer. And finally, they let us join. First, we had to be associate members, you know, second class citizens, kind of like in the South, you know, for the civil rights movement, you know. But they never put the dogs on us or sprayed us with water hoses, you know. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But they, finally, they let us in. And before it was over, I was chairman of NCTA. You know, I'm the only programmer that's ever been NCTA chairman. Right. No other programmer's done it. Uh, and, and some people, they've even recycled. You know, like uh, Bobby Myron's been chairman twice, and so has Joe Collins. They were both introduced. And they asked me to run for second term, but I, I was too busy. But I, but I did fulfill my first term, and I'm very proud of it. I, I really do love this business, and I love the people in it. Now that, you know, now that it's coming to an end for me, uh, you know, I think everybody believes it, but I wanted to, to say it just one more, one more time because, uh, I mean, my best friends uh, I made in this business, most of them have already sold out. I mean, there's only four or five companies left, and I predict within a year there'll only be two. I mean, maybe it won't have cleared the government regulatory agencies, but there won't be but two cable companies left. And that's kind of, I think it's sad. And there are only going to be four or five programming companies left because everybody's consolidated with the networks and consolidated with each other. And it's, uh, I think it's sad that we're losing so much diversity of thought and opinion that we're going to have just a few companies uh, that some of which, like uh, News Corp, that, have, that really only care about their own power and don't care about the... Uh, the good of society. I mean, one of the things we always did is we, we did care about what, uh, what happened in our country, and we wanted to be a positive force in this country with our, with our programming and a positive force in the world. And I think it, we can't, it had a halo effect uh, over the whole cable industry. I mean, we, were, we cast ourselves as the good guys, and a lot of people believed it. And uh, it was one reason why we were so successful in Washington for such a long period of time when we uh, came up against the entrenched broadcast uh, interest. We did a lot of things right, or we wouldn't have been as successful as we were. And we should be proud of what we did, and we are proud of what we did, and we deserved every penny we made. As far as I'm concerned, we should have made more, you know? <laughs> we left a lot on the table. But not a lot. We left a little. <laughs> 
We didn't leave any more on the table than we thought we had to. <laughs> so which two companies are going to be the survivors? Oh, which companies will survive? Well, uh, well you, for, you, remember, it depends on how, how long we're talking about. Because look at Time Warner. Time Warner, I merged with four, five years ago, and they've already, they're already gone. They're mm -hmm. part of AOL. Look at AT&T. AT&T was around forever. And, and it, it won't be here in two years. There won't be an AT&T in two years. They'll just sell everything off, I, I, I predict. And I could be wrong about the timetable. It would be three years. But basically, so, I mean, I, I would say in the interim, in the interim uh, I mean, AT&T cable is either going to go to, uh, it's going to go to one of the other big cable companies. And uh, when that happens, Cox and Comcast, uh, Whoever's left out of the AT&T deal will, will merge with, with uh, if, if, if Time Warner, AOL Time Warner were to get AT&T, that will force Cox and Comcast uh, to uh, merge together probably. Uh, so that, that, there you are with this, the, the, the two players, not counting Charlie, Charlie Ergen, if he's successful as he probably will be. Uh, and he's not a cable operator, but uh, one of the reasons that that, that, that they, these last two mergers will go through is because satellite is a very, very real, serious competitor to cable and that, that the, otherwise uh, the government would never let, uh, let, let it get down to two, two cable operators. I don't see how they'll ever let the last two merge. I, <laughs> but that could happen. At one time, AT&T had all the phone companies, basically. I mean, it could conceivably be that Comcast, Cox, AT&T and AOL Time Warner will all merge, you know, and it'll just be one company. But I, I don't think it'd be good for the country. No. It wasn't oh. good the other time either. No. But, uh, but, but obviously in the interim, you're going to have CBS is, gonna, is going to survive at least for a while. ABC is going to survive for a while. Fox is going to survive uh, for a while, unfortunately. They're the, they're the worst of the lot. Although Mel Carmazan, you know, he was stealing uh, money from his advertisers, compressing those commercials down. They got caught, right? You know, I can remember a few cable operators, not very many, that, that covered up our spots against their contract. We're selling them to local advertisers, but we caught them and, you know, we didn't have to turn them into the police or anything. We, made a couple of phone calls, and they said they'd stop doing it, you know. <laughs> and I think Mel Carmazan will stop uh, doing it, too. But, I mean, there's stealing going on, a little bit. A little bit. Kind of normal. And people have been stealing cable for, you know, for years. Oh, DBS has a serious theft problem right. these days. And it, uh, so what are you proudest of? I'm sorry, back? what? What are you proudest of, looking back at your accomplishments? I'm proudest of my family. Family uh, comes first, and after that, uh, I'm proudest of my accomplishments in television. Uh, CNN probably sing singly, but uh, individual programs like Cold War, uh, Captain Planet uh, on the Cartoon Network, uh, Portrait of America, uh, Gettysburg. Uh, programs. I, I liked programming. I, you know, I, I always used to say to the cable operators at the beginning and during the middle, you know, you guys string the wires and we'll make them sing. That's what I, I, I was, 
you know, show business. I like, I like show biz. But remember that song, there's no business like show business. You're a developing program. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing an independent movie. Yeah, I'm, doing, right. I'm doing a $53 million movie. It's winding up shooting up in uh, Maryland right now. The, the, the prequel to Gettysburg, it's uh, named Gods and Generals from the, the book, and it'll be out uh, sometime late next year, and it's going to run on HBO and on TNT. Warner Brothers is going to distribute it. And I'm doing an uh, eight-hour series uh, with the Nuclear Threat Initiative, which I started with Sam Nunn on, uh, on a documentary series on weapons of mass destruction. It was already in the in progress. We'd already started working on it before the World Trade Center and the anthrax scare, but that's the, it was, you know, a little bit ahead of its time, but it'll be out sometime next year and it's going to run on public broadcasting. The new management at, uh, at the AOL Time Warner Cable Systems doesn't have the same commitment to pro-social programming that I did, and they're basically closing down uh, serious documentaries to a large degree. And uh, so, but, but we'll just go with public broadcasting. They do care about uh, what happens. And uh, but maybe I'm being a little harsh, but they've closed down the environmental units. And, uh, it, 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 you know, it's not going to be, I don't think, the diversity of programming that there was before. But that's okay. They'll, they, they'll make more money, I guess. I hope. <laughs> yeah, you're still right. I, I hope they make right. a ton. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Since what I've got you? mostly their stock. <laughs> That's right. What else are you busy doing these days? Well, I'm starting a restaurant chain. I'm, I'm Ted's Montana Grill. I mean, we're not going to, we're going to try and put one in Denver if we can find a good location. Uh, and a couple in Columbus, Ohio, where we're going to build something. We're going to build 10 and see how they go. Basically, they're going to be a bison, specializing bison burgers mm -hmm. and uh, bison meat products. But they're going to have beef, too, uh, just in case somebody doesn't want bison. And uh, we're going to see if it works. I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that, it, that it does, because I've got 32,000 bison, and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to move some meat, you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to sell some meat. And nothing wrong with it. You know, it's FDA approved. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you have a little bit of land, too. I do. I have a lot of land. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's desert, but I do have quite a bit of land. And I, and I, I get a, quite, a, 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 quite a great deal of pleasure from my land. And I'm hoping that Jerry doesn't get control of it so he can fire <laughs> me from that, too. I'm hoping he, I'm not public, and I, I own it all. But if he could get his hands on it, he probably would. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to keep it, anything else I have out of his hands. That's... Uh... Sounds He's got like most of what I cared about <laughs> right now. Doesn't have my children either. <laughs> so this this group here is is representative of the cable industry, and I wonder if you have some advice for them going forward. Well, gee, I I I I can't think of any. I I didn't think <laughs> you were going to ask me a question like that. I mean. They're already, the, the older guys are already pretty well off. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I really, that one kind of left me speechless. No, I, I, I've already, we've, you know, we've had so much communication over the years. They, they all know what I think, and I know what they think pretty much. Uh, What'd you do differently if you had a chance? Besides I told you, the biggest thing I would yeah. do is I would not have, I, I would have made the consortium work without uh, Time Warner.
Then I would have had NBC five years ago, and uh, I would have bought Time Warner about four or five years ago, <laughs> and I'd have fired Jerry instead of him firing me. <laughs> the trouble is, I didn't even think of firing Jerry. You know, while we did, when we did the merger, he was carried away at one point, because I really think he's basically a good person. But uh, he, he, he said to me, he said, Ted, you're my best friend. I said, Jerry, I've never even been in your home. If I'm your best friend, I, who's your second best friend? <laughs> he, said, he said, Nick Nicholas and, and Michael too. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. I, I know that. he didn't but say that. But he did that. say the other. <laughs> and I, I was his friend. I mean, I, I would have had a hard time firing him at that time. I wonder if anyone in the audience has any questions they might have for Ted. He's willing to accept a few. If we have a microphone here. Just don't ask me too hard of them. Yeah. If there is anyone who's in. Oh, here comes somebody. Maybe. If you just say who you are and uh, ask. Hi, I'm Katie Harris. Uh, Medium columnist for Bloomberg. You can't, we can't hear you. Can right. you pull that microphone down a little bit? Thank you. My question was, did Dr. Malone advise you not to let time into the consortium or Warner? Because they were not merged at the time. They were in the process of, of uh, that's, that's a good point. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I, that's, it was, I think time was what John was most, uh, was most concerned about, and, I, and Steve Ross's health was not good. Ta actually, Time Warner merged during this period of time, but, but I think they were, all, they, they were already merged when I merged, agreed to merge with, uh, it was Time Warner had completed their merger when I merged with them. It was, you know, with them, but not with it was a them. race to see who could merge first. That was another reason. I, want, I wanted to see what it was like to be part of a big, a big bureaucratic company because, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to see in my adventure. I was getting old and uh, I'd never been part of one of these big companies. Now I want to see what it was like. It's miserable. No, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not as good as being entrepreneurial. I'll tell you what, if I had uh -huh. to, I enjoyed the entrepreneurial phase better. Yes, ma'am. Yes. yes, Doris Lee McCoy from McCoy Productions in La Jolla. And I was just wondering, Ted, if you, uh, looking ahead, what kind of programming would you like to see uh, becoming a part of that you could instigate because of your interest in environment and other things? What kinds of uh, topics would you choose? I, just the things that we've... Uh that we already did. We did a lot of uh, environmental uh, programming, uh, did a lot of documentary uh, programming, National Geographic. Uh, we, we ran that for, uh, for years. Cousteau. We don't run it anymore, or the company doesn't, uh, since we's probably not the right term, but I still think that way. Uh, n nothing that uh, isn't already being done. I mean, there's a lot of good programming being done out there by a number of people number of companies. But I was thinking about you specifically. Well, I, I just told you I'm doing a, a movie, uh, the prequel to uh, Gettysburg, and if it's successful, uh, we'll probably do another one. I'm, I, I'm not going to try and, uh, the movie business is a terrible business as a standalone uh, business, so I don't, I'm doing it just 
out of uh, uh, not to, to to make a lot of money, but uh, just because I, I want to keep my hand involved in in programming because I because I like it. And that documentary series that we're doing for public broadcasting, which is the working title is uh, Voiding Armageddon, about uh, how we can reduce the threat of weapons of mass destruction. That's right up my alley as far as uh, pro-social programming is concerned. Thanks very You're much. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Next. It's Elvis Presley. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Turner. I like that I'm from Television International Magazine. I like to ask you, what haven't you done to fulfill your life? What haven't I done? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I never got a network. I mean, I, that's, you know, that, that one to what I thought that was what they were going to engrave on my tombstone, but I've gone past that now, and I'm, I'm going to have engraved on it, uh, uh, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Turner. <laughs> I'd rather be here than in Philadelphia. <laughs> That's right. Except oh, Brian Roberts you. doesn't feel that way. Yes. Uh, Mark Millett, you had mentioned that you saw Internet as a competitor. How do you see that the cable operators can benefit from the Internet and also bring that in and bring out its values and opportunities for social improvement? I'm sorry, I heard the first part. How, how do you see that the cable operators can help the Internet bring out its values and opportunities for social improvement as a communications media? I didn't say that the Internet was going to bring cultural improvement. I said, how, can, how do you think cable operators can do that? Can help I don't that know. happen? I really don't. I'm, I'm leaving the future to the next generation. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing, it's hard enough for me to keep up with the present and the past. Uh, Ted and Paul, this is Dave Kinley from Sun okay. Country Cable. Uh, I was hoping to hear a few more personal anecdotes, so I'm going to try and tee one up. The first time I met you, I was working for Monty Rifkin, and it was down at the uh, the old uh, baseball stadium. And that morning, you had your face all covered with uh, bloody uh, scabs because of a stunt that you had pulled the night before in promoting the Braves. I don't know if you remember it. But oh, I remember you, it. You want to tell that? <laughs> I pushed the ball from... Uh, First base to home plate faster than Trug McGraw of the Phillies pushed the ball from third right. with my nose. But with your nose, or right. my hands and knees. And I wondered what led up to that and why you decided to do that. And while you're talking about that, would you like to talk about the future of baseball and whether oh, it will be contracted? Hey, look, wait a minute. We're, we only got a couple of minutes. The future of baseball, let me tell you, Ken Burns did 14 hours on it. You know. <laughs> so that, you know, that would fill encyclopedia. But I did it... Uh, uh, basically, our promotion director came up with the idea that I would do it, and I, I played along with it, and I wanted to win, so I pushed harder than Tug McGraw did, and I beat him by about five feet. He didn't have any blood on his nose, but I, unfortunately, when you're pushing a baseball with your nose, if you push it real hard, and particularly over the gravel during, in the base path, you know, or not on the grass, and that's where the ball rolled, and I had to push it there, you, you know, you're going to scrape your face up pretty bad. But I didn't need any stitches. <laughs> I survived. That's good. Clint Stinchcomb, Discovery Networks. Ted, you talked about the, uh, the broadcast networks that you were real close to buying. What about the cable networks? Is there anything that you were real close to buying that didn't... Well, I would have liked to have bought them all <laughs> I would, I, I, at one time or another, but it was, I, I, I couldn't do it for a number of, uh, number of reasons. There, there was a, 
a period there where the cable operators realized that by allowing these uh, cable networks to go on their systems and to pay. See, I got in there too early, or too early for them to figure out that I might make money. They were concerned about whether we would stay on the air and survive. But by the time Discovery came along, they'd figured it out, and they wanted to own the cable networks as well as the cable systems. And that's why John Hendricks and the management team own 2% of Discovery Channel, and the cable operators own 98%. So it was, uh, I got in early for that, but it was, uh, it was very hard to, to, to buy cable networks. The cable operators, I mean, Malone was the, was the 800-pound gorilla, and he's been a close friend of mine and everything, but, and, and he is today. But, but he wanted to, uh, to own the networks, too. And it made it very difficult for, uh, for independent programmers to, uh, to uh, do well because, once again, the timing was, was uh, such that the cable operators wanted, they weren't as generous as they were at the beginning, and, and they wanted to get as much of uh, the equity of everything as they possibly could, and I don't blame them at all. I would have done the same if I had been them. Okay. I'm Michael Lambert, and uh, yeah. I own some. <laughs> I remember you from somewhere. <laughs> from Viacom in the right. old days, yeah, with Ralph Peru. Where have you been, Michael, the last 30 know. years? Well, still, still in the alive. Still alive, to be thankful for that. I own some uh, TV stations, uh, not uh, large markets. What are you doing here? Medium size and uh, small market TV Well, that's stations. not so good. Well, that's what I'm asking you about. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that's worse than small market cable system. <laughs> <laughs> that's real small market cable system. So here's the question, and, and now we're being faced with, of course, a downturn in the advertising market and a single revenue stream. What's your advice for over-the-air broadcasters? Well, it depends. I, I, I wouldn't want to be a standalone broadcaster. Uh, and, and the networks now own most of the cable, uh, cable networks uh, that, that amount to anything. So I, I, I would say uh, I'd get out of the business if I could, but it's not easy. You know, you probably owe more than they're worth. It's, you know, you, you, your timing wasn't good if you're still in it. You should have gotten out three or four years ago. But get out when you can, if you can. Merge with somebody. The, the, the small market, over-the-air broadcasters are in deep trouble. And you think news is a, is a, uh, a save it. local news and the production of quality local you know, newscasts? It's a really will. smart person will figure out a way to survive, but it's not a good place to be. I mean... And you figured that out, too. All you got to do is read broadcasting and cable magazine, and you can figure out you're in trouble. Well, most and of I'm getting... sorry about that. You know, uh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel sorry for those that, you know, didn't, the timing wasn't, uh, wasn't right. You know, hopefully the market will come back. But the next time the market turns up for those little stations, sell them. <laughs> Well, we, we sold a few of them along the way. We did okay. Okay, well, that's but, good. But do you think there's a, uh, a consolidation move, and do you think local well, news of course has, there a, is. has a place? Like local the, news, um, you can run local news on a station that's part of a chain. You do it yourself. You said you're, you're a multiple operator, right? Yeah, there's room for local news, of course. Well, my name is Bill Seelig, and I'm uh, president of the Institute of Human Sciences, nonprofit, doesn't make any money. And years ago, I wrote you a letter and about this water from cannabis. You wrote me a little note back saying, I'm not in that business. 
But I, I believe in environmental things and development and everything else. Now, the mistake I'm making now is I've been trying to raise money for movies. I have the Joe and Joe DiMaggio story, and I'm trying to stay out of the movie business. I'm also a stock or an AMC, so I could I can't hear a word you're saying. I could distribute my own movies. I can hear you, but I don't understand you. What's you know, the, I believe would you that, ask a question? I mean, the, the question are you filibustering, for Christ's believe, sake? You mentioned about not having much environment anymore in cable. And I want to get alternative medicine to cable. And how can you actually, you can't become a cable network anymore. You have to sell to the cable boys. Is that correct? Okay. I don't know. What's, what's the question? The, the question, question is, is, do you have to sell Hold it a minute. I, I can't hear you. I can hear him. He's asking about programming and versus networks and how to get his ideas on. And that's probably something for another session. Yeah, that's too long to yeah. handle here today. Because what turned me on was you said that they're not doing much environment anymore and other things like I wanted to put on alternative medicine on cable because they don't have enough of that now. Well, good, well, good luck good to luck. you. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. Good luck. Yeah, well, I just want to know. I like know. alternative medicine. I'm not sure it works, but, you know, I'm not <laughs> sure regular medicine works either. But, but I like your, uh, <laughs> your fortitude, your fight, you know. Okay. Well, thank you. Appreciate Next. it. <laughs> you have done with a CBS or an NBC if you had acquired it? Did I would have. What would I have done with one of the networks that I got in it? I would have uh, combined uh, the purchasing power. But see, the, the guy who wins, the big winner is the one that puts the greatest amount of purchasing power together so that they can own the Olympics, so they can own the Academy Awards, so that they can own the NFL, so they can own the NBA Finals. And, and, and you've got to have a major network to do that. And, but, you, but then you've got to have more than just the purchasing power. And we did, I could see we were not going to have the purchasing power without a, a network to do it. Because some of these programs, like the World Series, like the Super Bowl, like the Academy Awards, you can't buy with a network, with a cable network, no matter how much money you have, because the, the rights holders won't sell them to you because they want 100% uh, exposure. And, and I think that's right. If, 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 if one of the cable networks had bought uh, the World Series and the Super Bowl and made people force them to buy cable in order to get it, there would have been a reaction against the cable industry that would have been worse than the additional penetration that we would have uh, gotten. So you, it, the winner, the winner, at the end of the game, like in Monopoly, you have to have Boardwalk, Park Place, North Carolina. You want to get the blue property over on the left-hand side of the board, and the green property, you know, all the way down to get out of jail free or whatever in the hell it is. Like, take a ride on the railroad, you know. You want to own the prime real estate, and uh, any company that didn't have that was going to sooner or later be a marginalized player, and I think that's basically what's happening to uh, the Time Warner cable networks now. I mean, we're making a lot of money, and we will for quite a while. But uh, making money, I, I wanted to win too. And, and you usually, the winner, the guy that's got the, the, in the number one position, you get a, uh, a premium for, your, for what it is ever you're selling if you're the number one player. You know, I mean, Tiger Woods makes the number one salary in golf because uh, he's the best player. And, uh, and, and, and I wanted to be, I wanted to win. When I sailed boats, I sailed to win. When I played the television business, the cable television business, I played to win. And I'm not satisfied with being with a second-rated uh, second operation. And uh, so 
You know, I kind of feel like, in a way, Jerry's done me a favor. It's been very painful making the transition, but I've, we haven't talked at all about the philanthropy that, uh, that I'm doing. Last year, I gave close to $250 million a year away. That's a lot of money to give away if your stock's down, like AOL Time Warner is, you know, like everybody else's stock's down. But I think it should be higher than it is. Of course, I always, you know, if you, if you, if you think like a winner, you always feel like uh, your stocks ought to, be, ought to be higher. But, uh, you know, I'm doing other things now that are quite interesting, like most of the cable operators that have sold out. They're, they're, they're doing interesting things. A lot of them are doing things in, in philanthropy, the local national law, national level. I mean, what are you going to do with all this money anyway? I mean, if the, if the stock keeps going down, we won't have to worry about it because uh, we won't have it anyway. But at least we'll have given some of it away while we did have it. You know, wouldn't it be terrible to hang on to every nickel like uh, Rupert Murdoch and, uh, and, 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 and uh, who's the guy with Viacom, Bob? Our good friends. Sumner. Sumner Redstone. You know, they didn't even have even small foundations. Neither one of them would give away a nickel, uh, basically. And uh, I know if they lose all their money, they won't have gotten anything to show for it. At least we had, uh, you know, had the fun of giving some of it away. What, what are you, what's your question, young man? Hi, Ted. <laughs> Oliver Chin with Interactive TV Today. I was wondering what your opinion is of interactive television and its growing importance to the cable I think industry. interactive television is great. I want to be able to see what I want to see when I want to see it. Uh, but basically, you know, I mean, when you've got a VCR and, uh, and, and video cassettes or a DVD, you can see what you want to see pretty much uh, when you want to see it. If you've got cable, you can turn the news on anytime you want to see it. I mean, I, I don't really particularly care about seeing yesterday's baseball game today, so I... You know, being able to watch sporting events, but, but already you can get just about any sporting event if you've got uh, the right combination of, uh, of networks. You can see any game just about that's being played anywhere in the country. Uh, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal because we already, have, we, we already have pretty much interactive television today. It'll be a little better. I mean, I don't really care about seeing the WB show that ran last Monday. I didn't watch it when it ran on the WB, and I ain't going to watch it if it's available <laughs> 50 goddamn times. It's still crap as far as I'm concerned. That goes for CBS, NBC, and ABC, too. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy them to watch them. I was going to buy them to make money on them. You know. We'll take two more questions here. Thank God we're getting to right, the we're end. Getting, we're getting close. To Mercifully. I'll be short. I'll be short-winded then. I'm Randy Campbell with Superior Communications. I started my career in Dalton, Georgia in the early, late 60s, early 70s. I remember a station, WTCG, that was the first one not to run a test pattern at midnight for the rest of the yeah, night. Yeah, we went through the 24 hours. We 24 take it for hours granted. a day, seven days a week. And that was very refreshing when I was in my early 20s to see that and we sold a lot of cable because of question? you. What's question? Question, uh, you, since you don't have a job now, you wouldn't have any conflict of interest, what do you think about maybe running for office? I, I, I've thought about that and, uh, and, and, and I think I'm, 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 I'm probably too burned out and too old for it. It takes a younger, uh, the last two presidents we have have been much younger men and the, the last old president we have has got Alzheimer's. You know, it might give you Alzheimer's. I, don't, I can't remember whether I got Parkinson's or Alzheimer's already. You know, I'm, who's the next question? If you change your mind, I'll vote for you. I ain't gonna run. I'll vote for you. I just don't, I don't have the energy to run. I might, if I ran, I might get elected. Then I, what am I gonna do? <laughs> I don't, 
I don't mind going to Washington to lobby, but I don't want to have to live there. I mean, the White House is only on about five acres. That's too small for me. <laughs> Camp David, Camp David's only about a thousand acres. You know, I mean, I would that, too small. Mr. Turner, it seems like a lot of your career was visualizing things that uh, did, didn't exist at the time, especially when you were in your 20s as an entrepreneur and went out and created them. Yeah, if, yeah. You, if you were starting today as a young entrepreneur, what do you think you might do? Well, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to think about it and, 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 and look at what all the options were and then uh, decide on what my plan would be. I'd, I'd work out a very careful plan. But since I'm not going to do it, I'm thinking about other things that are more relevant to me now at 63. So you have to figure it out yourself. I'm not in the advice business for Christ's sake. I mean, you send me a check for 100 grand and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a one-liner. Would you be in the television business? I don't know. I, 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 it'd be hard for me not to be in showbiz some sort of way. You know, remember the song, there's no business like show business. I, I like showbiz. No kidding. <laughs> we're, uh, we're wrapping up this oral history at the moment. We have one more thing to do. We auctioned off a poster of Ted from his, when he was cool and cable wasn't yet. And the winner was Bill Bresnett, who is Aww. right here. And if you'll come up and get this, you're gonna get it from Ted. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Here you go. Okay, pal. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. That's it, ladies and gentlemen, and we really thank Ted today. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. You just heard the oral history of Ted Turner. We hope you'll join us again soon. Until then, this is Luke Woodruff for the Cable Center, the nonprofit educational organization that helps support and fuel the ongoing legacies of the cable industry's innovations and influence. Thank you for listening. <laughs>